Hi, and welcome to the third episode of this new series of Get Ready, The Cost of Doing Business, hosted by me, Libby Potter. I'm a former host of The Money Programme and have subsequently presented several business-adjacent podcasts. This mini-series for London Business Hub will uncover how businesses can navigate the challenges brought on by the cost of living crisis. In each of the episodes in this series, we'll feature SME business owners and experts to talk about topics really relevant in the SME space right now. And today, we're talking about managing and closing our businesses during the cost of living crisis. We'll discuss how we manage a business through times like these, the challenges you might come across, and how to adapt. And we'll talk about closing trading if that's the unfortunate choice you decide to make. So what challenges are facing businesses during this time and what are the opportunities ahead? To discuss these questions and more, I'm joined by legal expert and senior partner at Redfern Legal, Tom Redfern, Steve Heil from Gerald Eve, Richard Robinson, also from Gerald Eve, and Elaine Lewis, the MD of Cadventure. So firstly, can you all tell me or tell us a little bit about yourselves, starting with Tom? Hello, Libby. I am Tom Redfern, and I have 40 years plus experience as a solicitor in England and Wales. For over half of that time, I spent it in-house with large and medium-sized companies, and the rest of that time has been spent in private practice. Um, I founded the law firm Redfern Legal in 2007. It specialises in helping people and businesses to set up and build up their business. So from that point of view, I know all about starting up in business. I'm a generalist as opposed to a specialist, meaning that I can advise on a number of different legal topics. So I think we're pretty well covered with your experience there. So Richard, could you tell me what your role is at Gerald Eve? Hi, uh, yeah. Um, so my role is in what we term to be our corporate estate team, but to de-jargon is essentially it's advising tenants on their um, leased estates. So we look at the liabilities that they inherit through having property leases that they operate their businesses from and help them to develop strategies to, to manage that, um, guide them through change in their businesses and also mitigate costs as best we, we can. So a bit like Tom, I class myself as a, as a generalist. I, I cover various different um, areas at a, at a high level to help devise those strategies, but then work with, with specialist functions within our business to give the experts advice where needed. So everything to do with business premises, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So my, my clients are predominantly in financial services sector these days, but I've worked across retailers, education, SME through to, through to larger organizations. Great. Steve, what's your experience? So I'm actually a specialist. Uh, I work in our business rates team. I've done nearly 30 years now working with a variety of clients, so the big corporates, but increasingly the majority of our clients are actually SMEs these days. And in business rates, we're working with clients when they take their first property, providing you know, forecast liabilities, ways of mitigating that rates bill. Business rates is one of the biggest sort of property costs they'll incur, and lots of people actually forget about it. Um, but there are ways of mitigating it, reducing it. Um, so that's something we get involved with, as say, on your first property, but it also on clients with larger portfolios. And obviously the last few years, there's been a barrage of new reliefs come out. Um, and again, it's helping clients navigate which reliefs they can access 
Um, and if there's a way of actually reducing that rateable value on a permanent basis, or at least for a fixed period. Great. Finally, Elaine, can you talk about uh, your role at CadVenture? Thank you. Uh, so a uh, following degree in economics from Lancaster Universities, I, w- I went on and did an MBA at Cranfield and I followed a career in sort of media marketing and business development. I joined the family firm CadVenture, which my husband started back in 1989 and I took over as MD in 2013. So just to explain what we do at CadVenture, we provide software and services to architects, engineers and construction companies. So we are the number one channel partner for solutions from Bentley Systems, uh, which our clients use for design, engineering and construction of the built environment. I'm also uh, a non-executive director for an organisation called NEMA, uh, formerly known as UK BIM Alliance. This is the industry body that is providing advice and support to architect engineers, construction companies looking at smarter ways of working with their information management. I'm also very proud to be a judge for the European Women in Construction Engineering Awards and a mentor for women in BIM. So I get to do some quite a few interesting things in addition to working within CadVenture. You're extremely busy. I'm very grateful that you could spare the time to talk to us. Thank you. So let's talk a bit more about the topic at hand. Tom, could you start and tell us about what we mean by the cost of living crisis and and how it's actually affecting businesses? So the thing that grabs everybody's attention at the moment is the energy crisis and the costs associated with heating a room, heating a house, heating an office being that we are coming out of winter now and spring is just around the corner, um, that particular problem is probably going to um, diminish slightly, but it has been a very expensive process um, for people. So energy costs I would see as part of the cost of living crisis. And then inflation being at uh, 10 plus percent being the other part of the cost of living crisis Uh, I am old enough to remember um, inflation from previous decades, but uh, for the last 15, 20 years, I think most people um, have been used to seeing interest rates at below 4% and mortgage rates uh, even lower than that. Whereas back in the late 80s, 90s, they were up, mortgage rates were up at over 15%. And I had to endure those and we survived those. But um, people, if they're not used to those types of uh, rates um, and are used to much, much lower rates, they use their money instead of paying off interest to spend on other things. And if they then have to divert money from those other things to paying interest costs, uh, that makes for a severe problem cash flow wise. And that brings me on to the other part of the cost of living crisis, which is cash flow. Now, cash flow is something that affects businesses all the time um, because you need to get money in to pay money out. And if you can't get the money in, you need to borrow from the banks. And the banks' um, decisions on whether to lend you money um, are special to the banks. And obviously, they may not be prepared to lend in the timescale that you want them to lend to you. So, That is part of the cost of living crisis. And the final part, I would say, is the talent crisis, that people um, are moving around. uh, They're far more mobile in terms of employment. And therefore, for a company to keep good people, they are going to have to pay more money 
to entice them to stay. Um, people also want to work from home more, and some people aren't able and willing to allow that to happen. So the talent crisis is all part, also part of the cost of living crisis. Elaine, it's it's pretty much a perfect storm, isn't it, of, of circumstances, conditions, uh, events that have led to this. What has Cadventure done to weather this storm and, and how is it affecting your business, your trade? I think I can particularly identify with some of the, the, the previous points made. I think the way that we have seen it manifest itself and the way we're tackling it is working, uh, putting our clients at the centre of our business and understanding what's important to them. I think, bear in mind, I'm, I'm in a business-to-business world, but what's keeping board directors awake in the companies that I'm working with is what does their carbon footprint look like? What is what is this, you know what is their um, energy costs and looking at use of different materials and different ways of working to improve sustainability. So that is very much a boardroom issue. I can particularly relate to the uh, the talent crisis. We are ourselves looking at how we can support our members of our team, both um, in financial terms and adapting to, to new ways of working. We have a an opportunity for people to work from home that is sometimes not only driven by their desire to have a better work-life balance but also to uh, mitigate the cost of commuting but then I'm as a as a landlord I'm found I've got a beautiful building in the centre of London which costs me the same whether it's filled with people or it's empty so there's a challenge around space that we need to you know, have a desk for everybody and have, except that some of the time those desks will be empty or do I need to implement a more creative sort of hot desking potential? But what happens when I want to get everybody together, what you lose when people are working from home is that instant collaboration. I mean, there are technologies like Zoom and Teams that try and mitigate that, but it's never the same as all being in the same space. So those are some of the challenges. But I think for me, it's about listening to what's bothering them, what's keeping them awake, and trying to ensure that what we're doing as a company is giving them answers to those questions. And finally, Stephen Richard, what are you seeing that businesses are facing at the moment in terms of managing and closing trading? Well, it's, it's interesting, Elaine mentioned about the, the fixed cost of that of an office, whether you're occupying it or not. Obviously, business rates is one of the large costs uh, for occupying an office or any commercial premises and you do have to pay that regardless you know whether you're using the property or not There's, there are reliefs short term available but um interesting obviously we, there's a revaluation of commercial property this year so all commercial property in england scotland and wales has been revalued from april this year based on 2021 rental values and obviously we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis i'm doing with uh, some small businesses in watford for example their business rates are doubling. So again, this is on top of other costs which are going up. The government has brought in some sort of relief to step it up. You're still talking even with 30 40% increases this year and again next year. The tax rate that's applied to business rates is index-linked. So this year it's been frozen, but from April next year, it go up by whatever inflation is in September this year. So if we're still in double digits in September, you've got another big increase coming through next year. At a time when income you know, is potentially going down, the outgoings are just going to keep going up. Can I ask the rates revaluation from the 1st of April, when do you expect that to come in for occupiers of premises? So the draft figures have already been published. They were published just before Christmas. 
and that will come into effect on the 1st of April this year. Basically, during the next four weeks, uh, you will start to receive your bill for the next 12 months. So some, you know, we obviously represent a large number of clients and we're advising them, forewarning them, but there's going to be a lot of small businesses out there that the first they're going to realise are the, sort of the jumps is when that bill comes through. Because although it's available online, you needed to know it was available online. So, so, um, so really, it's when that bill you know, pops up in the email or lands on the doormats that you're actually going to realise that another cost has gone up 20-30% this year. And, and for many, it's, it's limited reliefs. Um, you, know, you took that property some years ago with one rateable value, and it's something you have little control over. Um, so there are things, and we can come on to that later, that you can do to try and mitigate it. But from April this year, and those, that rateable value that's coming in April will last for three years, and there will be another revaluation in 2026. And the strange thing with rates is that that one in 2026 is going to be based on rental values from next year. So regardless of where the market is in 2026, it'll be based on what's happened in 2024. And, and this is one of the problems with business rates, that that time lag, it's still not keeping up with the market. A lot of retailers, to be fair, in April will see their rates come down, but they've waited a long time for that to happen. And bearing in mind what's happened to the retail sector over the last few years, they've been paying rates based on 2015 rental values, even though in many cases... The rental market might suggested almost no value. They still had to keep paying the rates. Richard, we'll talk about solutions in a moment, but um, have you got anything to add to that? I mean, this rate thing is huge, isn't it? So for, for business owners, in your experience, what what are they facing? I mean, not just the rates the, the thing, but what else are they facing that means that they're coming to you with their head in their hands, so to speak? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge and one that we try to to get ahead of for our clients is sort of part of the, the core of our service, I suppose, is property is incredibly inflexible. Lease terms have moved in a great deal over the years, but you know, you're still looking five, maybe the third year break at, at the shortage you're going to get away from the, the serviced office sector if, you, if you're leasing um, premises. And in, in the retail sector, those can often be longer because tenants take them wanting the the certainty that they can get the return on the investment and, and goodwill that comes with opening a site. So the lag in being able to change your cost basis from the property when things like the business rates come up um, is certainly a problem. Equally, we've seen a huge amount of pressure on on tenants from service charges. So where landlords are incurring costs, but, but recharging. And even where those are done as they typically are on a, on a, a fair apportionment basis, it, it's led to some big shocks in cost because a lot of tenants haven't been particularly used to seeing their service charges increase by much. It's, you know, low inflationary environment, they've, they've ticked up a couple of percent a year. Well, suddenly you're seeing... 10% on the, the repairing costs, if not more. Often a bigger jump on on certain things like like cleaning, where you know, living wage might have kicked in more aggressively because of inflation and, and elements there. Essentially, all of those being blown out of the water by the utilities bills that are coming through. So you know, I had a, a service charge for a client through the other day. I don't think we'd seen it move more than 3% year on year in the last five years. The main services, core services, had gone up by 31%, but utilities had gone up by 230%. Which, which was, you know, they, they sent this to me saying, this can't be right. But other than essentially challenging the landlord to say, you have got your numbers here right, there's not something dodgy in the meter spinning out of control. It, it, it was right. And that was particularly um, bad timing because the, the landlord had had a, a decent fixed rate on the utilities bill prior to that that had come to a point um, of expiry at a time when the market was A, not offering anything on the fixed bit and, and B, moved greatly in, in, um, in comparison to where it was. So I think those are, are certainly big big steps i think to pick up on elaine's comment about dsg the, the that side of things it's certainly something we're seeing 
tenants and clients looking more at that because for, for, for all the right reasons and um, and some of the ones that come from from business reputation as well, but also increasingly because it's a it's a hedge against those costs flying out of control. You know, you might still be exposed to electricity prices if you're going into a, um, a more sustainable building that uses air source heat or, or something along those lines, but you can get rid of the the exposure to gas hopefully on that side of things um and equally just you know a more sustainable building is a more energy efficient building and, and therefore there's there's cost savings in in that bit it, it's only adding to that trend to move towards more sustainable premises but but certainly becoming a greater consideration for for clients and then you know it's changing the terms we can agree with our our clients when we sign leases so back onto the service charge point a bit when we were negotiating leases a couple of years ago it would often look to try and get service charge caps so limit the overall exposure utilities would be included within that cap to give you a, a fixed upper limit for your entire service charge what what we're seeing without fail now is is landlords taking utilities out of the the caps because quite rightly they're saying we can't carry that exposure because we just don't know where it's going so it, it's certainly changing behaviors looking forward but I say very difficult for people to do much about it where they're locked in for, for leases that could still have several years to run because unless that expiry is approaching or they've got a break opportunity, um, those are the contractual terms they've signed up for until such a point as they can exit. Elaine, you're the only one of, of us that is actually running a business and you've been running it through several decades of different conditions. I mean, listening to the contributors just now, you, you'd be forgiven for thinking you'd have to be a, a masochist to even want to, to have a property and to run a business in this climate. But you, I mean, you've talked already about a few of the things that you're doing. Can you elaborate on how CadVenture is surviving? So we've now been through three recessions and um, we are at this point. So we feel like we've got a kind of formula that, that, that seems to work for us. We keep a very close eye on our cost space. We have a process within the business called inquiry to cash. And we look at how we um, look at every single aspect of what we do and keep in view, work smarter, not harder. I liken it to um, the Olympic cycling team who were able to, you know, marginal gains by looking at different aspects of what they were doing to, to you know, improve their performance on the track. Um, so we do a lot of that. I think we're very astute when it comes to uh, clients that we allow to have credit terms with us. And so our, our cash management is pretty crucial. And then I think the other thing that we try to do is because we're a smaller organisation, we can be a little bit more agile, a little bit more flexible and look at alternative solutions. We seem to have sidestepped the, the rental issue by because we have a, we have a, a, a licence agreement where we're based in the building centre, which works very well for us and gives us that, that flexibility. Uh, and we're fortunate enough to own some of our buildings as well. So we are both landlord and um, and tenant, if you like. But it, that's taken a lot of careful financial planning over the last sort of 15 years to be in that situation. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's giving myself and the team time to work on the business as well as in the business that I think is the key to our success. Uh, Steve, could you talk a bit more about how you're seeing businesses adapt? I mean, Richard talked about flexibility and how famously inflexible premises contracts can be but but businesses themselves are expected to be reactive agile how are you seeing businesses adapt to this and and what are you advising them on that score and it's the, the, the tricky thing is business rates is a fixed 
costs. So if you get your rental value and rate bill first of April this year, it's based on, as I say, 21 rental values. If it's correct, you are stuck with that for the next three years. Depending on the size of the business, you can, you can go to your local authority and there are reliefs available. So if, you, if that's your only premises um, and it's below a certain threshold of rateable value, you can apply for small business rate relief. And that can be up to 100% relief. And then it's stepped down to a further threshold. Most local authorities offer some form of discretionary relief. So again, if, you are, you know, if you're a big corporate, it's not going to be applicable, probably even a medium business. But for smaller businesses starting out, you probably can have that conversation with local authority. You should, because you know, they've been given distinct pots of money that's you know, designed to help businesses starting out. Even if it's only like the first year, it's, you know, it's a helping hand uh, for, for you know, a significant bill. There's quite a lot of relief available this year for the sort of retail sort of hospitality sector. Again, where it's your only premises, it's more of an issue once you've got multiple properties. Um, but for a small sort of medium business starting out, it's very important to talk to your local authority. You know, if you've got advisors, they can point that way. But generally, local authorities are quite good in signposting you to these reliefs. And central government funds have been made available this year across the country um, for particularly retail, hospitality and leisure sector. The small business rate relief scheme is a permanent scheme that's been available. Um, but it also means it's, you do need to think about, you know, Elaine mentioned whether you have, you know, if you've got 100 people, do you have 100 desks? You've got to really think whether you're, you know, if you're going to have 100 people sitting in the office five days a week, that's fine. You know, these days, that's, that's pretty rare. You're going to have a good few days where it's at least half empty. You really do need to think about taking that space because you will pay for it for business rates until your lease ends. Um, Again, the other option is looking at the service or flexible sector so you can adapt more quickly. Um, and often some of those deals will include business rates. Um, so you can at least fix your costs for the period of you know, your license or short lease that you take. It's difficult to avoid, but you, you do need to sort of plan ahead. And it is possible because it's the, all the information is available publicly um, online. So if you are looking at new premises, you can find what your rate bill there are calculators online. Again, your local authority. What they won't be able to help is, you know, confirming is it correct. Uh, you know, I've spent thirty years actually proving most of those valuations or a lot of those valuations are wrong. Large part bad business, and we would go along and, as we will after April and go to clients and say, actually, we've got better evidence. We can reduce that rateable value, uh, and that's obviously producing a three-year you know, saving because it's for the whole period of the list. But that's advice you would need to go to an advisor for generally. Uh, in much the way you would for taking out a lease, um, because to get hold of that evidence, you're generally going to need a, you know, a specialist advisor. Um, so that's suppose the key point is think about the space you're taking. Um, do you need as much as you think you do? Because it, once you've signed on the dotted line, reliable for that, you're, you're responsible for that cost going forward. You know, even if vacate the premises, if your lease is still in place, you are still liable. It doesn't go back to the landlord until your lease expires. If I can add to that, I think the interesting thing is about, is it a multiple of number of employees to number of desks? But uh, if we go back to the, the our discussion about talent and at finding, attracting and retaining good talent, um, office environment can often play a part in that, both location and what facilities you offer. We have looked at the WeWork type approach where you've got, you know, flexible hot desking and, and, and sort of value added facilities around that. That is enormously expensive. But what we're trying to do is in the space we've got kind of recreate that sort of kind of culture and atmosphere 
to 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 make best use of the space. So it's not just a a straight calculation about headcount and and minimum you know spatial requirements. You're trying to create. I, I sort of see my my investment in in premises as almost part of my marketing budget. So if you do invite clients in, it, it it's got the right look and feel for the business you know and the, the clients that you're working with. And being in the built environment, you'll find if I have architects walking into my space, it's it's got to look good. <laughs> Building us on Elaine's point, we actually relocated our head office last year. And whilst in sort of square meterage terms, it was slightly smaller than our old office. There's only 60 desks, you know, 100 people. But we've had to invest in you know the breakout spaces, client areas, because as you say, if you want your staff back in, there's a higher expectation from the office. So it's, it's you're not necessarily, you can't necessarily take a smaller space, even though you could have few people potentially in the office because what they expect from that office is more. But again, something else to perhaps consider is whether you need to be in, do you need to be in the West End? You know, there are other areas, of, for example, in London that you only have to move 10 minutes walk away and the costs drop considerably. Richard, is there anything that you have to add about how, how you think businesses can, can start to think about adapting to this crisis? I mean, I'm starting to feel a bit more cheerful when we're talking about putting ping pong tables in and stuff like that. But but essentially, it's a pretty grim picture for SMEs, isn't it? Yeah, I'll try not to bring the mood down too much. But I think <laughs> I'll, I'll start with the positive and go on to the negative. I think it, the, it's all about what point you are in this this contractual life, I suppose. I think where where Stephen Elaine has spoken to there, when you've got the opportunity to change, then, then clearly looking at what's needed is the the absolute key. Um, and and the right sizing piece and the and the meeting the needs of your employees really. I, I started this role many years ago. It was all about how many people could you cram in the space. Really, the efficiency was more more in, um, and the the square feet assigned per person came down and down and down. Recently, the, the British Council of Offices revised their advice around what sort of space you should give a, an individual, and they actually moved it up for the first time in a long time. The slight nuance in it was that they'd gone from talking about people to talking about workstations. So that you know, it's there might be many people using that workstation, but you're giving more space around that, and that and that very much leans towards the the hybrid working and the and the, the different world that we live in. We live in post COVID. So I think that if you're in that opportunity where you've got the change coming up, absolutely look at what you need. I think really understand what you're signing up to. It, it pays to get advice. It, you know, lawyers' fees might seem expensive, and Tom's. I promise you, Tom's not got me on a commission for saying this, but they're worth every penny you you pay them. The smallest little clause that means nothing to you now can have huge ramifications. I recently stepped in for a, for a client who was looking to sign a new lease. They were taking on board what we call a full repairing insuring lease, the whole building and the the fabric of it, and they were taking that with a break. And as far as they were concerned, it'd be great when we get to that break, we can we can operate it if we don't need the space. Um, but they'd accepted what we call a, a vacant possession break, which there's a lot of case law around to make it incredibly onerous on a on a tenant to actually use it to the point that it can be very problematic. Um, and they'd accepted a very open obligation around the repair of the building. So just a few tweaks on those to bits that they were completely unaware of what they were really signing up to change their downside liability from a huge one to a much more manageable one. So really understanding those bits. I think for tenants who are in that point where they haven't got an event coming up, the, the same sort of runs true. I think understand what you have agreed to. Really, really get into the detail of the terms of your lease. You know, what can your landlord do and what can't they do? You know, are there are there limits on the the cost they can recover through the through the service charge? Have they got termination rights coming up they might be able to use? Have they got auto-renewal rights if they're in a WeWork or something like that that might mean that they suddenly find they've got another 12-month contract when they thought they were getting out? You know, understand exactly what the agreements are and take advice if, if necessary. 
and then I think linked into the same bit, it, it's actually around understanding what some of those clauses mean in 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 practice to give them rights to to either challenge against them or have impacts that they need to be considering when they're budgeting going forward. So, you know, RPI rent reviews have, have crept into quite a lot of um, property contracts over time. So indexing up against retail price index. You know, for, for years, that didn't really have a major impact when it was 2 3% inflation. But suddenly when you're, you're staring at, at 10 plus, that, that's got a much more meaningful impact over a two or three year contract than you would have done previously. And Tom, these, these are all amazingly valuable pieces of advice, but what happens when nothing is working? Like, what would you say SMEs, small business owners, small medium enterprises, how, how can they even begin to start thinking about closure? It's not as simple as shutting up shop. It's, it's, it entails quite a lot, doesn't it? Can you talk about what they should be aware of and what are the kind of pitfalls that they should watch out for? Well, the first thing probably is the stress level that uh, people will be going through. If they've got problems with the business, um, it's going to be keeping them up. They're not going to be able to sleep properly. The, the idea of closing the business is obviously the, um, the, the end option that you've got to consider. Um, but along the way before that, um, you have to consider what that is going to mean for everybody. So you, how much goodwill have you built up in the business? Because if you close the business, that goodwill is going to disappear uh, in terms of um, the knowledge that everybody has about your business and the name associated with the business and your reputation. That is all going to um, reduce, disappear. You've got the, the fact that if you do decide to close the business, what, what's that going to mean for your creditors? Because they're possibly going to lose their money, which means they're not going to want to invest in you if you want to set up on another day. Um, they're certainly going to be looking for better financial terms, for example, money up front before they're prepared to um, provide you with services and goods. But if you are looking to, to close, then... Um, you have the ability as an individual or as a sole trader to um, look at bankruptcy. And if you are a company, you have the ability to look at um, liquidation, um, insolvency. They are different legal terms, but they all amount to the same thing, which is that you stop. That's effectively what it means. Um, bankruptcy um, is if you are an individual or a sole trader, more draconian, in my opinion, than if you are a company and go into liquidation. And that's because uh, a company is a separate entity to an individual, whereas bankruptcy for an individual or a sole trader means you yourself are going into bankruptcy. And if you yourself go into bankruptcy, um, you are going to be on a register. It can follow you around. Certainly, um, you're going to be in the Gazette, published as somebody who is becoming bankrupt, and the uh, credit rating for you is going to be zero. So you're not going to be able to get credit cards and the like. The bankruptcy, if an order is made against you, um, it's valid for a year, 
The benefit of bankruptcy is, of course, that it wipes out most, if not all, of your debts. That's the benefit. But it is a last resort. And then you're on the register for six years, the public register. People can go and search for details of people who have gone bankrupt or who have signed an agreement to deal with their debts. So if you're an individual or a sole trader, that's obviously not desirable. If you're a company and you go into liquidation, it's not so bad because it's your company that has gone into liquidation, but it doesn't count as anything against you personally unless you have supplied personal guarantees in relation to the company. Bankruptcy process is basically when a person announces they can no longer pay their debts as they fall due. And you should know that it doesn't actually cover all the debts that um, you may have. For example, if you have a student loan, that will carry on um, outside of the bankruptcy. There is a national debt line uh, and a fact sheet that you can get and a free phone number that you can uh, seek advice from if you are thinking of going, uh, if you have serious financial problems and are thinking about bankruptcy or insolvency. The other point to mention is that creditors, if they, if you owe them a lot of money, can force a situation where you have to go into bankruptcy or liquidation um, without, without you necessarily wanting that to happen. But because the creditors themselves are so fed up with the amount of money that you owe them, then they can force that upon you. But it's an expensive process. And of course, they, they might get paid. It depends what your assets are. Usually, if a creditor is going to do that, they will want to conduct a search on you to see if you have any charges against you, meaning mortgages, uh, or bank charges. Um, because if they are going to um, start an action against you to put you into liquidation or bankruptcy, um, what is the point if they're not going to get anything? But it is a way of trying to extract money from people. It's a last resort, but effectively, if they've been trying um, to get money out of you and you have been promising them that nothing has happened, they may feel they've got no alternative, uh, in which case they will look to see whether the bank has an overdraft in place, in which case the bank is going to have a charge in place, in which case if some other creditor comes along to put you into um, liquidation or bankruptcy, they're going to be behind. They're going to rank behind the bank. Um, the bank will need to be paid off in full. And similarly, the taxman is also going to need to be paid off in full. So there has to be money there to, to make it something that, that is worthwhile for uh, the company or individual, the creditor who is owed money. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a problem. And my advice to anybody is to be upfront with um, creditors about the situation, not to try and uh, ignore requests for payment, not to pretend that the money will arrive the following week. My best advice is to be upfront with people. Uh, in most cases, being upfront provides a sense of credibility about you and your business. People, I think, understand that we're in this crisis at the moment, and people will understand that they really have little alternative but to go with what you're doing. They've, they've judged you as somebody that they can lend money to, uh, or services or goods to, 
Um, so they should be able to judge that if you are being upfront with them, they will need to wait and hopefully they'll get their money back that way. So let's let's imagine a, a, a slightly better case scenario where somebody doesn't owe enormous amounts of money, where they just know that they can't actually make ends meet going forwards, that it's not a viable proposition in the current climate. So what, what are the other things that businesses um, and, and sole traders need to think about in terms of closing their, their doors? I mean, cash, Libby, is the most important thing about a business. Uh, cash is king is an expression that I think everybody understands. If a business isn't viable, it's because there isn't enough cash coming into the business. If the cash isn't going to come in, if the, if the judgment is that the business really doesn't have a future, then you can let it go. You can pay off the creditors. Um, you can make the, the business become dormant effectively. That's the, um, the best way to close a business, to effectively pay off all the debts of the business. That includes the tax man, the fat man, and the other creditors. Uh, and then essentially just let the company be dormant or alternatively seek to liquidate it, close it. That would be the best way forward. Elaine, let's, let's inject some cheer back into the conversation. Can you give some advice to small and medium enterprises right now about how to, I mean, the future is coming. It's it's right on the doorstep. What would you say to people now that are trying to get through this period of time? I think I would like to um, kind of lift lift the lift the mood, as it were. Tom is, I think he's, he's, he's really um, sound, uh, given some really sound advice about communication. But what we've tried to do at Cadvention, and I think I would invite anyone else to do that, is to hold on and you know imagine what they, the, the green shoots of recovery are coming. So what we've done is we have invested uh, more money in marketing, which might seem counterintuitive. But um, unless we continue to talk to our clients and talk to our prospects about who we are and what we do, then we won't have a business if we're potentially holding on. Um, the other thing is we're very clear in our communication with our team so that they know where we are, they know how we're doing and, and what's expected of them, and they can see a future. So, you know, we, whilst we might all be tempted to think about, you know, can I actually afford to recruit? Can I actually afford to keep the people I've got? You know, letting good people go at this time of your growth or your development may be um, not be the wisest move because, you know, when, when you get busy again, you're going to need them. And we saw that, sadly, in lockdown where a number of people had to lay off staff for very, very good reasons. And now are certainly in, in the hospitality sector, I know they're really struggling to recruit because people have taken made different career choices uh, and moved away from that sector. So looking after your staff, open communication, and if you can possibly afford to do so, invest in, investing in marketing would be my three pieces of advice to, to sort of hunker down and hold on until, until the good times come. And Steve, would you echo that? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an appeal to, to people to be brave, isn't it, really? Yeah, and also, also building on something obviously Tom said about being upfront, because I think obviously business rates, it's a tax. So you you can't avoid it. But you know, we've, over the last few years, we've negotiated for clients, payment plans. We've gone to local authority, you know, particularly during the early days of COVID, and so that there's nothing coming in. We don't want to wind the business up. Because obviously, if you wind the business up, there's no rates paid, but there's no business. And we've managed to negotiate plans, you know, two-year payment plans, so that it just gives them the breathing space. And most local authorities, understandably, want you to thrive because you bring other business into the area. Um, so they will work with you. 
it's the same thing. Talk to them. Don't you know because costs will add build up. Even if you don't pay your rates within a month, there'll be costs added on that you then have got to pay those back in addition. Whereas if you talk to them, they will work with you. And most are very reasonably working out sort of payment plans. For, you might just need it for a few months. Um, again, during the sort of COVID times, we did manage to negotiate sort of rate holidays for a few months. Now it would be more common to look at a payment plan just to make it more affordable, you know, to give you that breathing space until those, you know, those green shoots sort of start sprouting. So. Communication is is the key here. The worst the worst thing anyone can do. If we look at this now from the from dealing with with landlords' perspective. The worst thing people can do is, is put their heads in the sand and hope the problem's going to go away because I think that immediately starts to incubate this animosity between the landlord and the tenant. You know, landlords often do get a, a, a bad rep in the press, and but not all landlords are, are bad landlords. I'm sure Lane would talk about being a landlord herself. You know, there, are, there are reasonable landlords out there who want to see their tenants prosper as well as themselves. And you know, actually, it, it's short-sighted of many landlords to um, to not work with their tenants because while there'll be some sitting on a prime property, they'll let again tomorrow. There are many that aren't. And a small concession to a tenant to help them through a problem may be far preferable to a, a prolonged void period where they become liable for the utilities and the business rates and, and the and the other payments versus being able to keep that tenant they've had maybe a good relationship with and, and, and work with them into the future. Um, and we certainly agreed a number of deals like that during lockdown um, where, where that, you know, the, the, the pressing need for it came. So I think speak to the landlords in, in the first instance. I've had for a client lately where we were the landlord and we had a, a tenant in, in in problem. And the worst thing we had was they wouldn't speak to us. We couldn't have the conversation with them to try and help them through it. And they ended up filing for a winding up order that we had to block because we were still trying to get to the bottom of the problems. But again, trying to communicate with them to help resolve it amicably because it, it worked best for both parties to do it that way. And likewise, I think yeah, a head in the sand can build up bigger issues for later. So um, I spoke before about break clauses and issues around those sometimes in the wording, but a common criteria for the, for the compliance with those is, is payment to rent. So having not paid money early on, thinking, well, I've got this break clause, I can serve that and get out and all my problems have gone away. It's not necessarily the silver bullet it might have looked like if you're in default because the landlord may have you um, on, a, on a non-compliance point. So really, yeah, communication, I think it, echoing everyone here is 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 key because that way you can start to work towards a solution rather than just letting a problem build up. Tom, a final word. Are there sunlit uplands beyond this crisis, do you believe, for businesses? I mean, the main issue for, for businesses is to is to know where you stand as far as your accounts, as far as your finances are concerned at all times. So you need to you need to keep a regular check through your um, management accountant of understanding where you are cash-wise. You need to understand what's coming in versus what's going out. And if you are looking at the list of creditors at the end of the month um, and you can't pay them all, you're going to have to work out which ones are the ones that you do need to pay to keep going. So you've got to prioritise that. And I'm sure lots of people do that. But you, you've, you've got to be able to live within your means if you're going to run a business. Um, and you need to be realistic about what that involves. And if you have to cut costs, um, if you, for example, are taking out a salary yourself, then you need to look at cutting that back to keep things going in the short term. Or you need to look at um, consultants or agents who you're engaging. Can you do without them for a period of time? 
I think it's about good communication, remaining positive, and I certainly have um, listened very hard to some of the advice that Tom, Richard, and Steve are, are giving here, and um, reflecting on that in my business. I think that um, there's always an answer out there, and go and talk to someone so that you get the best advice and help that you can, and try to look beyond the moment and keep your eye on on the horizon. It's going to be a degree of echoing earlier comments, but it's pre- prepare. Um, take advice at the start. Don't rush in because um, you're going to fix a cost for a period. So paying for that advice early on or spending that time early on um, looking ahead will pay dividends. If all else fails, talk. Talk to local authority, talk to advisors because there are ways around these things. So. And I'm sure as much as I can say, that, to, to paraphrase the old BT slogan, isn't it? It's good to talk. I think that is a, is a, is a, key, a key message that I think we're all, we're all aligned on here. My thanks to all our guests, legal expert and senior partner at Redfern Legal, Tom Redfern, Steve Heil of Gerald Eve, Richard Robinson of Gerald Eve, and Elaine Lewis, the MD of Cadventure. Don't forget to subscribe to the Get Ready, The Cost of Doing Business podcast for the London Business Hub on your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. We'd love it if you could leave a review because it really makes the podcast easier for others to find. And remember to visit businesshub.london, that's businesshub.london, to access a variety of free support programs, advice, and resources relevant for SMEs. We'll be back next time with an episode about starting businesses during the cost of living crisis with more SME owners and experts, Wesley Baker, Richard Burge, and Dan Pratt. Business Ready is a Fresh Air production. I'm Libby Potter. Thanks for listening.